You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 118, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. Today's expert is Dr. Kate Mangona, and we're going to be talking about something a little bit different than what we usually talk about on the show. We're going to talk about marriage for physicians and also how money plays into that and whether there's a different dynamic when you have two physicians or a situation where you have the female who is making more money than the male, even if you're not a medical professional. This episode will offer quite a bit on just relationship advice in general. And if you're another professional, obviously, most of the things apply, except the fact that you're not going to be on call oftentimes. Today's show is sponsored by Resolve, a physician contract review company. At Resolve, they believe that knowledge is power for physicians, and that power gives you control over your financial future. Resolve believes that by mining, analyzing, and synthesizing data, they can provide you with the information and insight that empowers you to diagnose the health of your career, fully understand your worth, and maximize your full potential. As a company founded by a doctor, for doctors, Resolves focuses on the well-being of those whose purpose in life is to care for the well-being of others. To have this incredible company review your employment contract, find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash resolve. The link is also in the description of the show at theparadox.com slash 118. A big thanks to all my patrons at patreon.com slash theparadox. It's a great way for you to contribute to the show, even for just a few dollars a month. It helps with the production and promotion, the editing of the show. And it really helps make this show available and free for all. I want to thank Brandon Cole, Anthony Perry, Tom McMillan, Brian Mooney, Danny Yen, Dan Kolkoff, Jill Klepoth, Bolan Amat, and Lucas Dara. Thanks again so much to what you do. Thanks for sharing the show. Thanks for subscribing. Which reminds me, if you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe. Please leave a written review at whatever podcast player you use. And continue sharing the show with your friends. But without further ado, Dr. Kate Mangona of Medicine, Marriage, and Money and her discussion on relationships in medicine and how to make them work. Enjoy. Hey, I'm here with my friend, Dr. Kate Mangona. She's a pediatric radiologist and the host of Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast. She's married to a pediatric radiation oncologist, just slightly specialized. Uh, They have a lot of active and passive real estate investing. Two young girls with, it sounds like, one on the way, and also serves as a relationship life coach. Dr. Mangona, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Larson. Eric, it's my pleasure. <laughs> well, I was, you know, it's funny how you go through this. When I pick out topics for my show, I really have no idea where I'm going to go because people ask me in the OR, like, how do you find people or what do you decide to talk about? And I say, well, it, t- it ends up being just sort of things I find interesting. And I think most things I find interesting, quite a few people find interesting too. And so today we're talking about not the U.S. healthcare system, thank goodness, because we talk about that plenty. <laughs> and we're not going to talk about covid uh, except that's my one mention of it. So we're going to talk about, I think, really kind of marriage and relationships when it comes to medicine. And 
And I think to some extension for, for those who aren't in medicine, probably just professionals too, because I think there's, although there's unique things with medicine, anyone who's a professional or who's, you know, corporate medicine or whatever, corporate life, I think probably a lot of things will relate to that as well. For sure. Yeah. Marriage is a very important topic to me, relationships in general. Right. <laughs> right. So let's get into that. Let's start first with your background. Obviously, you're married to Victor. So how did you and Victor meet? And um, I guess just lead up to sort of where you are now because you've been in practice for like, it sounds like about five years or so. For sure. Yeah. We met the first day of internship when we were both transitional years. He was starting his uh, five-year path to radiation oncology and I was starting my five-year path to radiology. And we did the intern, we did our transitional year together and we, 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 it was a categorical year. So we both did five years at the same hospital. And I went to the introduction picnic and he sat like a few people away from me. And I just remember him instantly um, how handsome he was. And like, <laughs> I, he was, I thought he was so cute and, but he didn't sit next to me. And he said later on that was, you know, cause he didn't want to be obvious too. And then he, <laughs> he asked me if I was a internal medicine resident. I'm like, no, I'm radiology. I think he was surprised by that. I don't know, because mostly my, you know, the, the class are usually a lot of men. And so I was one of just two, um, two females in my class and the, you know, the class above or below me had all met males. So anyway, we spoke while we were in line to get like our vision tests and our urine test for drugs. And he asked me, uh, he asked me for my email, I think pretty early on, like that day or the next day, because like, well, I'm compiling, compiling a list of everybody in our class so we can all go out and we just all need a centralized list. So he asked me for my email, my number, and he loved my email at the time and still is my personal email, Salsa Kitty Kate. So he loved that because I love to salsa dance. So he actually arranged the first get together at a salsa dancing bar, which... (laughs) Which I couldn't wow. even, I actually couldn't go, I I didn't go to, I opted out of because it was my mom's last night with me in Michigan. So my mom and I are very, very close, our relationship. And she moved me to Michigan, like was with me for the first two weeks before I started residency. And, um, and he right away, he knew that family was very important to me. Uh, we both had like a love for dance. Um, I signed my email with adios and some little Spanish uh, words at the end. And he liked that. He grew up a Filipino and uh, from a Filipino immigrant family. So we had a lot of connected like instantly. And I will say he was looking, he was looking for somebody and I was not, I was actually in a long-term relationship. So it caught me off guard. It caught me by a surprise, especially being a Catholic girl who, you know, doesn't go looking for things when I'm in a commitment. So it definitely caught me on guard when I fell in love with him those first couple of weeks, just hanging out with our intern class, um, having fun, getting to know the hospital. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, we're going to be friends. And, uh, and we were friends for four years. (laughs) Did his uh, list just end after you collecting your email or was it, did he actually get the entire class? I, you know what? He is a super friendly person. And apparently he was friends with everybody in his medical school class. And I know Wayne State has like one of the largest medical school classes of like over 400 students. So he is a very, very, very social person. I, he might have gotten the whole list. I mean, he emailed us. So who knows? I haven't asked him that. <laughs> <laughs> so you started a podcast called um, Medicine, Marriage and Money. Clearly, 
the three things that are focused in your life, I think probably, I'm guessing are priorities for you. Yes, yes. And how did you come upon that title and what sort of inspired you to start the show? Well, I was inspired this summer during the middle of the pandemic when I just felt stuck. Like, I love my job. I have always loved being a pediatric radiologist and that was never the issue. I think I just felt stuck because Victor and I decided to live separately during the pandemic for the first couple months because of COVID issues. And he was taking care of uh, cancer patients who were immunocompromised. And we just didn't, you know, initially we didn't know what was going on. So we wanted to limit our chances of each contracting COVID, giving it to people. I was in the hospital a lot, not every day because I am able to work from home sometimes, but we decided to kind of put that distance between us, not see each other for the safety of us, our kids, because we had a baby. We had a baby at that time who was very prone to viruses. Every time she got a virus, she would be sick for two weeks. So it was like multifactorial. So he Mm -hmm. decided to live in a hotel. I lived at the house with my mom and our au pair and our two girls. And and everything just seemed out of control. And when we saw each other, we were wearing masks. It was just, okay, we're just standing (laughs) far away. And I just found it so hard. And I decided to join some physician support groups on Facebook because that was the only social interaction I was getting. I was talking on the phone to my friends, but I wasn't going out. I wasn't seeing people anymore. So I just signed up for some uh, group coaching on on my Facebook groups, including um, Ali Novitsky's course and Bonnie Koo's financial course. And then finally, Sunny, but it was Bonnie Koo's course that really opened my eyes to, she asked us this question, how can you provide more value to the world? After I had kind of like, she had coached us on money Not that I necessarily needed it, right? Because I'm married to Victor, who's a super financial genius and knows all this stuff. But I kind of wanted to get up on his level. And so I'm like, I'm going to brush up on all this stuff because I have extra time. The x-rays, you know, the x-ray list is not, the ultrasounds, everything is kind of low volume right now. I have extra time. I'm going to work on this myself. And Victor is very, very passionate about understanding and teaching physicians about money or anybody in general who wants to listen to him, he will teach you about how to invest, what kind of car to buy, what kind of house to buy, and um, how to grow your money, how to make your money work for you. And so I was kind of, I followed that passion for the first five years of our marriage and I loved it. Like we did real estate together, we did Airbnb together, um, but I always felt like a little bit of an imposter because I was never at his level. So I was like, okay, this is why I'm going to take the course because I'm not, I don't want to feel like an imposter anymore. But I, I got something different out of the course. I just, I just, she just asked what value do you want to add to the world? And I realized that relationships was my new passion. And I've always had a passion for connection and what makes that interpersonal connection last and special and strong. And I just never realized that I needed to start sharing what I learned with the world. So I just started I'm like, well, I'm just going to start interviewing all the power couples I know because I know so many power couples. Like I'm in this network of super intelligent physicians, physician couples. I'm just going to start asking them if I can interview them of what makes their marriage work. Like how are they dividing the household chores, the child duties? How are they coordinating date nights, everything? And I started being a little snoopy and just interviewing people. And I told them it was for this greater purpose. And 
and I loved it. I, I, mean, I started learning so many valuable things and people started reaching out to me and saying, Kate, like even before I started, they're like, I've heard you're, you know, you're starting this medicine, marriage and money. I am so excited. We just don't talk about, you know, marriage enough in medicine. And then I tagged money on to the end of it just because I'm, I'm so comfortable talking about money. Like I don't really have a problem with it, especially being married to Victor now for six years. And so I was like, well, it's going to be just the medicine, marriage and money podcast. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, what do you, we, so you've interviewed a lot of people now when it comes to, to marriage. And so it is great kind of how you do this thing because you, you really are fi- sort of, you're just picking people's brains and they're actually like just telling it to you um, and you can get tips and, and, and hints and stuff. And you can start these podcasts and actually learn a lot of stuff and it doesn't cost you any money. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You can yeah. like, Hey, tell me all your secrets. And then they'll tell you your, your secrets. You're like, gee, thanks. That was free. You know? Right. Right. No, I mean, exactly. And, and it's just up to me whether I apply them or use, you know, choose to use these little bits of uh, wisdom daily in my relationship. So you've obviously talked to a lot of people. So that means you've also heard a lot of problems people have had and things they've had to overcome. What are sort of the, the, the common themes you found for pitfalls with marriage for physicians? And, and I suppose maybe the first question is, does it matter if they're one physician or two physicians in the family? Are there sort of different sort of things? Or, or maybe there are different pitfalls with each sort of type of relationship. Yeah, I would say it's definitely different depending on, so I work a lot with not only just dual physician couples, but maybe like one of my, um, one of my clients right now, her, her husband's not a physician, but he, he earns just as much as she does. He, he's some, you know, tech or business guy. I don't really know a (laughs) non-physician, but (laughs) has a very important job as well. And, uh, and I find, you know, her, like many other people, we just, get so caught up in our careers and defining who we are and establishing, you know, our place in medicine, then having kids, having a family, we kind of lose that connected connection feeling. And, and we just feel disconnected, whether that's just because of what we're telling ourselves in our head or what's happening in a relationship. That's kind of what we have to sort out because the same couple could be in this in this very same circumstance and have completely different thoughts about their relationship, right? So I like to tell people that your relationship with your spouse is all it is. It's your it's the thoughts you're telling yourself in your head about your spouse. That's what your relationship is. So if if we're not looking and examining those thoughts that you're telling yourself on a daily basis, then there's no way you're going to be more connected or feel more loved or feel more appreciated or any of those things that you want in your relationship. Because we all have, you know, we all want to feel love and appreciation and joy and happiness. So we have to really examine, well, what are we telling ourselves about our relationship today? And what are, you know, what, what thoughts are we choosing to hold on to? And so that's where I start with a lot of my clients is we, we, we talk about specific scenarios in in a marriage that might happen. And, you know, often it's, oh, well, he said, she said, he did, he did. Okay. So the, those are the facts. Those are the, that's the, actually what happened, that situation. But what are you telling yourself about what he said to you? Like, what are you making that mean? Because he might've told you, you know, I think you should go change your dress before we go out. And you have no idea what that means. Does that mean 
you know, you were wearing the wrong color. It's the, it's a white party and not, you know, you know, or does it mean, you know, you just really have no idea, but we tend to, as humans fabricate all these stories in our own head about what things mean without actually just talking about it out loud sometimes. That's very much similar to people who with emails or texting, right? I mean, I think how often do you have that where you send an email and then depending on the intonation or the, you know, is there a sarcasm font, right? Those sorts of things where it can be, it can be completely misconstrued by someone and to seem aggressive or to seem very passive when in fact it was neutral or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we oftentimes think that when we're in person, that doesn't happen. Like there's no, there's not a lack, there's not a problem with communication with the, you know, you pick up body language and sort of how someone reacts when you say something, but there, there is always that internal sort of, what is the underlying reason why, like you said, why did you have me change that? Is, am I fat? Am I, you know, (laughs) right. Do I have, my hair Did it show too much skin for a work event? Like you just right? never know. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, oh, we're going to go see the pastor or something like that. <laughs> um, so do you think, I mean, fundamentally, does people always talk about relationships coming down to communication issues? Is that pretty much what you see a lot of it? There just needs to be more intentionality when it comes to relationships within marriage? Yeah. You know what? I don't even think, so I think that is a myth. And that, that communication, that communication is key to relationships because at one point, yes, we could be communicating, but we could still be on completely different. Like we interpret things differently than what they're saying. So really we have to go inside ourselves and work on how we're interpreting things, how we're reacting to things, how we're avoiding things or suppressing our own feelings. Um, so yeah, the communication part, I think there's so much more to it. It's it on the surface it seems like communication, but it's really, it's really deeper than that. And, and the things that you were just referring to is like through a text or email, we tend to get defensive and we can get defensive in person. We get defensive in person a lot. It's just like our automatic go-to like to get defensive. That's like one of our, you know, primal caveman qualities about us. And, uh, and it doesn't help like that. The, I love John Gottman, he he writes a lot of marriage books. He's a very famous uh, marriage counselor out in um, the Northeast. And he talks about the the ways to sabotage your marriage. And number one is criticism. And, and number two, or, oh, he talks about the four horsemen. And criticism and defensiveness are in there. It's criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and then stonewalling, which means avoiding, avoiding talking, like just shutting down. So when you've got that, like you think somebody's being critical of you when maybe they're not, or you all, you start, you get, you think they're criti- critical and so you get defensive, right? It's just not giving people the benefit of the doubt. I like to tell people, oh, always give people the benefit of the doubt. Like we don't know. And we might do it for strangers. Actually, I'm one of those people who gives everybody the benefit of the doubt, except for those closest to me, like my best friend or my mom or my husband. And it's so strange, right? How that happens, but it's because they are the closest to me. They are in my tribe and I don't want to get kicked out of my little tribe. It goes back to, you know, our prefrontal cortex and how that just kind of dominates in your fight or flight situations that it comes up in these arguments we have in marriage. So I know becoming less defensive, that is, that's key. <laughs> and you have money in your title mm-hmm. and I always 
have heard that money is sort of the not the not necessarily the number one reason that couples have problems or fight, but that it is it is a central focus of lots of disputes and different values and different sort of ideas of sort of how you want to accumulate it or spend it or save it, whatever. Are you finding that that's the case in that when you're talking to these couples, is that is that a primary focus of a lot of their disputes with each other? You know what? I haven't really had a lot of couples that have a lot of money issues. Now, I know that I do have, um, I have had people ask me before, you know, I'm, I'm the breadwinner, breadwinner. I've worked with some female clients who are the breadwinners and they're, they have different thoughts of how they should donate their money. Like, like, especially when the pandemic first started and somebody, or when there was a natural disaster, some natural disasters this summer, she wanted to donate a large sum of money, but for her husband, you know, that was a lot because he doesn't make as much as she did. So she was just having trouble navigating that. But I think more than that, it's really just sitting down with your spouse and talking about your financial goals. Because a lot of times we may talk about the day-to-day purchases like, okay, look at all those Amazon boxes you just ordered, or do you really need another pair of shoes? And those are like the small things on the way, but what are the big goals? And like, if each of you guys can figure out what your goal is for five years or 10 years, and then figure out, okay, well, this is how much money you have to spend on shoes. You know, if that's what's really bringing you joy, and then talking about what brings joy to each person. If it's shoes for one person and vacations for the other person, then how can you put that into your spending plan so that you can still have those things and reach your five or 10 year goals together? So I think it's key to sit down and talk about long-term goals and why we want to save, you know, invest our money the way we do today instead of just, you can't spend a hundred dollars or you can't spend a thousand dollars on that. That's just ridiculous, you know. Do you think it's more complicated for women who are the physicians and the the primary breadwinners in relationships? Just, just, I guess in the point, the fact that you're the one who bear the children, you're the ones who generally are in charge of. In charge is maybe the wrong word, but it's it's probably you have the motherly true. instinct. I mean, yeah, well, and that and motherly instincts, but also the sort of you know the the responsibility for for caring for the kids primarily still falls in women, and I think that's. Mm-hmm. A cultural thing, social thing, and it's probably some biological to throw in there as well, right? It's probably right. why lots of culture develops the way it does because there's a biological component to it. So when women are sort of expected to be working or have a career, it, it has to make, it makes things just more complicated, right? Because you, you no, have I to agree. feel torn in 10 different directions. I agree. And then there's that internal mom guilt, you know, that, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And we also aren't taught to just get help when we need to get help. I think we're talking about it more, right? Like just outsourcing everything. You don't have to do everything yourself. You don't have to cook all the meals. Like that took me, I don't know, I think four or five years to realize that I needed to start ordering a weekly meal service on 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 a weekly basis. And then eventually when we found our miracle nanny and she decided she was gonna help us cook every day, like I, that was my responsibility. I just took it on. I don't know why. Well, you know what? I took it on because I got hungry before my husband did. That's what it was. <laughs> I was always hungrier first and he could just starve. And I always used to think in my head, 
Does he not care that I'm starving? Does he not care that, I mean, what if I just waste away over here? Like I was telling myself all this stuff. You know what? He doesn't care. He wasn't thinking about it. When he's hungry, he's going to go to the cabinet, take out some rice, cook it, and then like eat, eat the rice with a piece of meat or something, you know, like whatever he can find. And so it was just more important to me to eat healthy, eat on time. And, and that's what I think it is with us. We're, we focus on all these little daily tasks. I think a lot of women, maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but we thinking about the day to day. Okay. I got to get the kid here. I got to do this appointment. I got, we got to eat, we got to do all. And then he's thinking of, okay, how am I going to make sure that we don't all die within the next 10 years and that we're able to live depend, you know, not depending on the government or anything like that. You know, he's thinking about taxes, big picture. So we're constantly going between little tiny details, you know, me like organizing the socks in the closet and him saving us, you know, $10,000 in taxes. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely if you're detail, big picture or small picture focused, but I've learned to hire help. That's, I mean, I've just learned, okay, I'm going to help somebody cook my meals. I'm going to help somebody clean my house. I'm going to hire help somebody to do the lawn, everything that I can't, that I don't want to do myself. Right. And then that gives me more time to spend with my family, my kids during the weeknights. Um, I will hire a baby. I, I try to hire a babysitter once a week for date night because or else Victor and I never will get that alone time ever. And that could be, and now that we're having another baby, you know, that's going to be for another several years. So it took me a while to learn that too, after the first baby. Yeah. Well, you, and Speaking of experience, yeah, you get to the point, and then they get to the point where they're old enough to watch each other and stay at home. And the the, the tremendous amount of freedom you have from that is really, uh, it's mind blowing. And then you realize that now you're shuttling them to ten times more places. You thought you were busy when they were little, <laughs> and then you realize you were only just kind of getting warmed up. That yes, yeah. you were, you had to get help them get like you know juice. But now, now you had to get them to three or four different activities or friends' houses or whatever it is that they're that's doing. That's what I hear. Things just get more complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of life, right? So, uh, getting back to the to the women as breadwinners, do you do you feel like there's just more guilt for women that they 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 have they suffer from more guilt when it comes to the relationship and the family and their their career than probably men? <sighs> It's okay to be this value judgment. I mean, I don't to generalize. <laughs> don't feel like you know what? You can't pick a sex. Um, you know, I have like two very best friends who are both the breadwinners, and it just seems to work for them. I think they also have very emotionally intelligent husbands who don't mind, right? That they are that they're married to somebody who makes a lot more money than they are. And at this point in their life with very young children, they're okay with that. Um, but they also have very ambitious goals that just, and um, purposes in life that maybe don't make money. And I think it, you know, it depends on how the, the spouse is going to feel in that situation too. Because once the spouse starts feeling unappreciated, Oh, that, that, that becomes really hard because how is the, the, you know, the, if it's a female breadwinner, we can't just turn around and make somebody feel appreciated. Um, it's really up to the spouse to feel that way. So it's like, I would call in my coach speak mixing models. Cause you've got your own and then your spouse has their own and we can't really insert their feelings where we would like to, right? We can't make them happy. 
I don't know because I have never bred the, I have, I am a, me and Victor are breadwinners together. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do you think it's easier for two physicians or do you think it's easier for one physician and one non-physician with the marriage? Oh, when you man. experience? <sighs> you know, I've, I've seen a lot of women talk about this uh, in Facebook groups and it, it's it's definitely, I think it's more tricky regarding schedules and responsibilities. And we have, I still remember the first time Victor and I both were scheduled to work an evening. Like I was working an evening shift and he was working uh, just a late because he has to cover his proton center late uh, for some of the, the late patients. And we had no, no child care help we had because we, we were doing daycare at that point. We did not have our mother-in-law living at home with us anymore. We, this was pre-au pair and pre-nanny. And we had no plan. And it was like the day before the morning of, and we were like, and we had not established a network of babysitters or, or anybody yet. And so we were scrambling to find people. I mean, I actually hired one day, my daughter was sick at school. I, I hired somebody I had never met before to come take care of my daughter. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, but I was like, I can only call in so many days sick for my work, right? To take care of my child who's always getting sick from gastro and stuff at school. So that is, that is a struggle. I think other professions probably deal with that too. Um, we just don't, especially as female physicians, we, I think a lot of times don't want to bring our personal issues, including our children into work. Cause we don't want people to think we're less committed you know, and people already kind of look at us a little bit differently. I think uh, we, as, as a general overgeneralization, we already kind of think we have to show up more and differently and, um, you know, with less femininity and all that kind of stuff when we go to work. So, which I think is slowly changing, but yeah, I am very, very fortunate to work in a practice of a lot of female radiologists who understand family priorities. We all have small, small or growing children. So that's not a problem for me, but you know, Victor would definitely be less willing to take off work than I would. He would say it's probably because he has patience though, right? He has patience. He sees, I just manage a list and anybody could read that list. But you know, I was saying, well, anybody, you know, people can fill in and see your patients, but it's different. It's different, you yeah. know. So there's a tattooed X on your arm. Just stand right there. It's fine. You'll be okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I and I would just say to add to that. So I've talked to to Marcy, my wife's pediatrician, obviously, as you know, and uh-huh. um, we've she would talk to her grandmother, who is, I mean, as you imagine, someone who's eighty five years old, right? And so even when we were in medical school, she was sixty five, and so she wouldn't understand that you would work weekends or that you'd work at night or that, you know I mean? It was completely out of her. She just couldn't imagine a work schedule that is not like a regular work schedule. Like her husband built houses. So he worked, you know, from sunrise, sunset, and then he's home. And then he maybe works weekends, maybe he doesn't or whatever. He was trying to finish a house. And so for her, for Marcy to say, well, yeah, I'm in call. So I'm in the hospital for 36 hours. Her grandmother could just never understand. It wasn't even like a matter of you explain it to her and she said, oh, okay, I understand. Again, she just would never, it, it just was like totally incomprehensible to her. And I felt a number of times that I had, I feel like I have less pressure telling Marcy, oh, the OR run late or something. Because, you know, my schedule as an anesthesiologist 
it's dependent on when the surgery ends. I mean, I can't just walk away and say, well, it's five o'clock. See you guys. And some patients, you know, anesthetize on the table. I can't just walk yeah. away. Or there's another case to go after that. I just, it has to get done. And so my hours are all sort of variable. I'm actually exceptionally good. I'll have to, I'd like to say at predicting when I'll be done uh-huh. <laughs> by, the, by no, the experience with the surgeons and the surgery cases and stuff. So I'm actually really pretty good. But even then it's, it's still random. And uh, you know, I don't know two days from now, you know, how long I'm going to be working the next day. Right. But she has a, it's easy for her to understand. It's easy for me to understand when she said, yeah, I just had so much charting, whatever. Um, and I wonder if, if people who don't, aren't married to physicians really don't understand that sort of problem. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean other people have other work that sometimes comes the way and they can't get home. But I feel like it's unique to medicine that there's just, you have a lot less, con- less control maybe of your time than you do for other professions. Right. No, I mean, that is, that is true. You do have less control and you can decide, but you could always... You know, and there's always the option of looking for a different or different career path or a different job or maybe private practice or academics or whatever. Um, So I do think that does fall into some of it. However, I do not like it when a physician will say, well, they just don't, you know, they just don't understand. Like, this is my life. Like, I am a a doctor. They, They cannot understand that. I don't know. It just seems to rub me the wrong way. Like, can't you carve out a time where you're not on call? I don't know. I mean, there's got to be some times where you're not, you're not on call, where you carve out dedicated time or figure out what it is your spouse needs or wants so you can kind of give them that time. But I don't know. I guess it depends on the other spouse, right? I mean, I would assume, I would assume so. I mean, I think like for mine, my job again, it is really random. I know when I'm going in and starting, but when I end any day is really just depends on when the day ends. Yeah. It's really yeah. completely outside my control. I have a general idea when I go into the day, what it's going to be. It can change sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I that's guess like, I would, that's... I guess it probably comes down to expectations, right? Like if you tell someone, uh, you know, I'm going to be done around three and you're done at four thirty or four or something <laughs> like that, then that's probably okay, right? If you're done at 8.30 and that happens like 10 days in a row, then uh-huh. there's some problems, right? Because you may have plans or there's something to do or whatever. I mean, I don't have that trouble as much. And I may be just reflection of my group or just anesthesia. I'm not sure. This is the only job I've ever had. And so I'm, I'm able to make every kid's thing pretty much. I mean, I can find someone to work if I'm getting stuck late or something like that usually. Uh-huh. So. No, I mean, I, I get know. it. And that, that can be super frustrating if you're on the other end of it and you have no idea when your spouse is coming home. And I mean, that's me a lot of the times. I'm a very predictable work schedule. It's pretty much eight to 4.30 or eight to five every single day, except for the days I work evenings. And I know that ahead of time or the days I work, you know, I'm occasionally on call, but you know, that's like two or three days uh, a month. And I know that but a home call, but Otherwise, Victor has a very, very variable schedule. And it did take me a few years to realize, hey, I can't expect him to be home and feed, feed our children or bathe them uh, because he does, he does bedtime routine really well. Like he, lo- he loves bedtime routine and I love for him to do it because for some reason I get really frazzled doing all that stuff. <laughs> I love like morning time and afternoon time routine. He loves bedtime routine. But unfortunately, he's at work late a lot. And I have had to learn that it, that's okay, right? That that is okay. And as long as I fill my cup during the day, so I get what I need at work, I make sure I have my, you know, my time to coach with my clients or to do my podcast, you know, the things that make me happy, I schedule the nanny to be on the days 
that I work from home so that I can do these things from home. And then evening times I'm more relaxed and I'm not constantly thinking about all the other things I want to be doing instead of doing bedtime routine. And then I'm not pressuring Victor. Hey, Victor, get home, get home. You know, are you, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? Cause that is just ter- like, that's just like nails on the chalkboard for him. I mean, he's like, he's like, I don't have control. Stop asking me, you know? And so it just took me a while to realize, okay, this is what he needs. This is what I need. And you know, it's not perfect, but I'm going to stop bugging him and bothering him and keeping track of how many days a week he's helping me at night because he's doing a ton of stuff. Like he's an amazing father and he's doing everything he, he can at work and at home. And so I just have to take care of myself and make sure I am finding all the, getting my to-do list done my goal list done so that at night I can just be okay, whether he's home or not, I've, I've got it, you know? And then I just wanted to go back a little bit more about when you were saying, when you're talking about mother, you know, the, the female breadwinner feeling maybe more guilty about all the things I, I forgot to mention the very important thing that we do as mothers when our kids are young is, is breastfeeding. And for me, that was something, cause I, you know, I've either been pregnant or breastfeeding for four years now and probably another year or two. Uh, that I felt like when I was working late or in the evenings and he was home alone with my daughters who refused to drink milk out of a bottle, I felt completely helpless. Like I needed to go home right then. And that, that really, I think that eats a lot of women away, actually. If they're trying so hard, even if they're, they maybe were struggling breastfeeding, their kids aren't, um, you know, and they feel like they have to be home or they have to be doing all these things at once. And then, you know, what, Victor can't do anything. The, the baby cries, you know, won't take the bottle, won't go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that was always a joke with my, my wife and I. So when she had, when we had our daughter and she was, you know, which she's still breastfeeding like six months or so. Marcy was pretty busy in the hospital. She's, you know, pediatric resident. And quite frankly, the pediatric residency is much busier than anesthesia residency, which seems strange. Okay. But, you know, we kind of had regular hours for anesthesia. You start at seven, you're in at seven o'clock, and then you're back in by whatever, you're home by six or five or whenever, and you just pick up the kid from daycare. Uh-huh. But Marcy might be overnight or she might be later, whatever. So I tended to spend probably more time with, with my daughter. Uh-huh. And uh, it was kind of funny because she'd see Marcy and it was like, oh, time to eat. And so it was, <laughs> and then, and then it's, she, then she'd come and just like play with me. And so Marcy felt like she was just kind of just a, pretty much just a food source. She felt like, I mean, the joke was like, she's mom, right? You know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. and it was totally different with my son, Andy, who was, who was, who was after he was very different, but yeah, Katie was definitely, she's always been sort of, uh, like the you know daddy's girl whatever is sort of like and classic, that's super but. special isn't that that she could just be happy playing with you and then yeah probably developed a a daddy daughter bond right there I thought I although I always again felt sorry for Mar- Marcy because <laughs> she was really truly just like hey there's dinner and that was kind of her role uh-huh um, what is can you tell a couple maybe just one or two anecdotes of people of things that they of troubles they had that they sort of found ways to solve with their marriage. Uh, you know, that somewhat common ones that, and maybe tricks that, that helped them out of it. I have had, okay, so I've had a client recently think that, think that her husband was controlling. Yeah, 
uh, controlling in, in just the, his thought that whatever manipulative and whatever he said to her. And we kind of evaluated the specific situations of, you know, what he was saying. She was interpreting everything he was saying or doing, or not everything, but many things as, well, he's just trying to control me. He likes, he wants to, to be in control. And we kind of went through specific scenarios and discovered that that's how she was interpreting it. Like uh, initially she was interpreting it as him wanting to be in control of her when actually she could choose to think, well, you know, actually he's, he's saying that because he wants this for his, you know, his father who is sick or he, he has an, there's like an alternate reason. Um, let me give a more generic example. Like say, uh, he was getting upset at her for uh, ordering the Amazon boxes. You know, too many Amazon boxes were coming to the door and he was just getting upset about it every day or every week. And what she didn't know is that he's planning a, a surprise anniversary trip for, you know, for their 10 year anniversary. And so he was trying to save that money, but you know, at this point in their lives, they, they had not divided their money into like, okay, this is mine. This is yours. I'm going to use this. So, right. So it's, everything's together. And he just felt like he was losing control. Like he's like, okay, well all, every money you spend ordering something we don't need. And he didn't know what it was in those boxes. He just saw boxes and he just equated that to mean, we're not going to be able to go on this trip because I won't be able to, we won't have enough money at the end of the month because they just didn't plan. Right. right. And so, and until you actually figure out what is making the person anxious, it's not the boxes. It's, you're thinking about that trip, but it was a surprise. We didn't talk about it. And I feel like so many things happen like that in our relationship where we react to things, but instead of actually listening, instead of like hearing the, it's called, um, like a rep a repair, it's a, it's a reach. So that person is reacting, but it, it, they're actually reaching out for help. They're reaching out for either love or connection, but it looks like anger sometimes. And it looks like, or it can look like sadness or it can look like frustration. So what do we do? Well, we get defensive toward it or we react back or we avoid. And then we just go on our own and avoid talking about it. So we never even figure out what the underlying cause of that reaction was. When it comes to couples with money, what, what are the big mistakes they make when it comes oh, to, Oh, well, know, yeah. I think the biggest mistake, mistakes we make is just throwing our hands up in the air and acting like we have no control or that we, we won't be able to understand it because it's nothing that we learned in medical school or in residency when, I mean, it's just like a hands-off. Okay. Somebody else is going to manage my money for me. Um, it, you know, I'm just, I don't want to see the checks. I don't want to look at my page. I don't want to like, I just, I don't want to deal with it because I don't like money. If I care about money, then I'm an evil person or something like that. It's just, it's, I think it's all in our mind uh, rather than the actual spending because whatever we're thinking about it, well, if we're avoiding talking about it or looking at it or seeing where it's going, then we probably will spend more carelessly or mindlessly um, than it actually if we believe that we have, we have the ability and the power and the knowledge to decide what's going where. Um, just a lot of people just think they're not, oh, I'm just, I, I, I'm not financially smart. I'm just not financial, financially savvy. I really, really got, well, 
Well, you can be, you can be. And it only takes, you know, it only takes a few, a few books to read or a few podcasts to listen to, or maybe just one person to talk to, to get you on your way. I think mindset is key in money before you even start doing any of the steps. And that you, that's something you'd recommend you do together in some level, or at least feel like you've got similar goals. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I always recommend sitting down and I like to make that, make it fun. I definitely don't recommend, you know, couples do this at 10 PM at night after everybody's gone to sleep, you know, we have to get this budget done. I I would just like make it fun, like plan a date, like a money date, go out to a restaurant uh, or, you know, a park, whatever it is, whatever your COVID situation is. And, and so you're out, you're out and about, you've, the kids are being taken care of by somebody else. And your only goal on that date is to talk about, yeah, talk about your goals. What are your, what is your plan and how much, like, what are the actual numbers? Why are you going to work every day? You know, it's not just to pay the mortgage and to pay the car note and to pay the private school tuition. At the end of, you know, at the end of the day, what are your big goals and are you on track? And the only way you can really do that is by, okay, looking at your paychecks, looking at your investments, and then seeing how much money is left over every month that you're investing and how, how your money is growing. And we just tend to avoid that. I feel like as a, as a whole profession, and not everybody, definitely not everybody, but we just avoid talking about it because we're like, well, we're making a lot of money eventually. You know, if we just save this or save that, we'll be okay. But I like to empower people just to take a little bit more control and responsibility, like a hundred percent, hundred percent responsibility. And they can do that with their spouse for sure. Or they can do it alone. They can do it alone. And then, but, and, and to the talk about it with their spouse, what they've done. But, um, yeah, I guess it's definitely nice if you can do it together. So to be clear, playing Monopoly would not qualify as working in finances <laughs> together, although that may be fun, or is that, that probably the wrong goal? <laughs> playing Monopoly. Yeah, oh my gosh, it's been a while. But uh, yeah, maybe get out, maybe, yeah, Monopoly, I, I, maybe a little, a couple steps more than Monopoly. <laughs> my greatest trick was always playing my, my sister, who was five years younger than me, and I would always, at some point, I would convince her that the best thing she could do is buy the bank so she get all the money. Uh-huh. But then every time I'd pass go, every time I get a car, I mean, eventually you run out of money. And you know what? In some ways, maybe it's a good economic lesson because having the money really doesn't, it's actually how you're investing and using the money to buying properties and, you know, right. <laughs> building capital, right? Maybe that's maybe that's really the, the uh, lesson there that she just thought, oh, a big pile of cash, I'm great. And then ends up with nothing at the end of the game. Exactly. <laughs> and I end up with all of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. As physicians, we make a lot of money. We really do. We are in the top, I don't know, what percent of earners? 10 or 10% of earners? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure top. 5%? Top 2, 3%. I'm sure. But it, but then so many physicians think we're living, you know, poor or paycheck to paycheck or minimum, you know, and uh, and it's really because it's really about how much we're spending and how much we're investing. It's really not about the paycheck every week, every month. I was president of my group for four years, and I was stunned at the amount of people who would have to get, we have reconciliations every quarter where you get a sort of a basic pay, and then you get a reconciliation based on how much you worked. And uh, anyway, I'd have a, a lot of docs, especially ones later in the career, 50, 60 years old, and they would get advances on those those quarterly rec- reconciliation checks. 
Oh, wow. And I would, I mean, I always just say it pretty much, no matter how big, it, big your bucket is, you can always put a bigger hole in the bottom. And um, <laughs> that's that, right. That's that it, there are people who do and who don't. And I think <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter how old you are. There's just people have just, I don't know, they just have a, they like spending money and are unthinking about it sometimes. I mean, I th- things happen to people too, but. Right. Yep. And that's, and that's why we have insurance. But I guess we can't always predict everything. No. Well, absolutely not. What would, What is the one, if you had to give someone one piece of advice for marriage as a physician, what would that be? My one piece of advice would be to take 100% responsibility for whatever it is you're thinking of right now. Whatever the problem you have in your relationship whether it's not feeling enough love, whether it's not being appreciated enough, whether it's you feel like you're the only one who cares about the children or the money, or maybe your in-laws, you know, you, maybe you feel like your in-laws are getting in the way of your relationship. Whatever, whatever it is in your life, I just want you to know, you know, that all of us, we have the capability to take a hundred percent responsibility for our life and for our happiness and for how much love and appreciation we feel as individuals. And, and it, that really just, it starts with us and working on a marriage always starts with working on, on yourself, because how can you show up in your marriage How can you love your spouse if you don't love yourself first? How can you show your spouse compassion, you know, if you're not showing compassion to yourself? So those are my big, really big takeaway points. And also knowing that you're not alone at this. Like all the feelings that you have coming up for you in your relationships are not unique. They're n- there's nothing new about them. We all think, you know, it's like, well, my situation, I mean, nobody's ever, you don't understand, like there's this, all these different details. Well, guess what? There are how many millions of people in this world, everybody feels there's gotta be, you know, at least a thousand yeah, right. people feel that same way. And, and we've been around for how many thousands of years and there are so many resources. It's about being resourceful. Because there are so many resources, whether it's a book or a podcast or an article or a person you can go talk to and knowing who that person is. You know, maybe it's not talking to your best friend or your mom because they may be feeding you the same feelings that you don't want to have, right? So it's figuring out what you need, working on yourself first, how you want to show up for yourself, and then how do you want to show up in your relationship? Yeah, I think that's great advice. I mean, I think focusing on how you react to things and how you you respond is is the key, and then from there you can fix everyone else, right? And that, right, <laughs> and, and also it. knowing, yeah. but knowing like whatever happened in the past is is okay. Like if you reacted a certain way, if you acted like it's okay, it's okay if you think you were mean or if you think you were whatever it was you were. Like we're all human. Well, I mean, you hope to, by life, through life, you hope to be a better person when you leave than when you came in, right? And you're always learning and always trying to improve on yourself. I mean, I would I would make that assumption that's how it's going to work. So I was going to say the the one thing I've learned in marriage, and, I've, and I guess I knew this, but I didn't realize until recently, is the one thing I tell people is that you didn't, your spouse did not marry you to solve problems. 
right. they married they married you for your presence. And uh, in going through the death of my son, I realized that what my wife needed was not me fixing her sadness or her grief or whatever problem she had, although you feel compelled to fix these problems <laughs> and come up right. with solutions. Uh, she just wanted me to, to go on that journey with her. And, um, and I think fundamentally that's really what we need. We just need someone to be with us and wherever that may lead. And I think that's probably the most important thing and to try and realize that that's where you should focus your energy on just being present and, you know, being on that journey together because, um, it's a crazy, sometimes happy, sometimes sad, sometimes angry journey in life. And, you know, yes, it's better doing it with someone else with at your side. I totally agree. Where's a great place for people? To, obviously, they need to subscribe to your show. If you haven't yet, you need to subscribe to the, the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast with yes. Dr. Mangona. But after <laughs> you've done that, where do they follow you? I know you do, since you're a fancy schmancy salsa dancer, you do TikTok stuff, I imagine, with salsa dancing. Where's a good place? Where are the good places people find you for in the social media universe? Yeah, for sure. So I'm on Instagram. Uh, my I have a Medicine, Marriage, and Money account for my podcast and then I have a Kate Mangona MD for my uh, personal my personal slash professional. So those two places on Instagram, Medicine, Marriage and Money and Kate Mangona MD. And then also my website, uh, medicinemarriageandmoney.com. I will be soon uploading my marriage manual, my medical marriage survival guide, an instruction manual for physicians in love. Yeah. So I have created that. It's like a 16 page ebook, really cute with a lot of actual physician couple pictures in it with little tidbits of advice. So I will, I just created it and I'm going to be uploading it to my website, hopefully within the next few weeks. Okay. Well, people have to check that out. And when you, the and, it's not the ampersand, it's the actual, the word. The and, and yeah. Correct. When you type it in medicine, yeah, it is the actual and, A-N-D, medicine, marriage, and money. Okay. And then same thing with the Instagram, medicine, marriage, and money. I have yet to figure out Instagram. Um, maybe I don't need to get enough pictures. I can never find anything on the, I can't find my messages. <laughs> I've just decided to pretty much just take it, take a pass on Instagram. I don't know that I'll ever understand it. <laughs> my, my wife's not much <laughs> you, better, but. <laughs> you could just skip right to Clubhouse. That's where everybody's going these days. Yeah, but you know, you'll be in Clubhouse and then a year from now it'll be something else. So and Clubhouse, <laughs> doesn't have, right. and Clubhouse doesn't hang out to stuff either, right? So if you produce things there, it just kind of disappears, I thought, but I don't know. Club, yeah, Clubhouse is just a place to talk. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, <laughs> if you wanted those links to your social media sites and that all be found at theparadox.com slash 118. So I'd recommend you go there and check out Dr. Mangona's work. Kate, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Eric. This was so much fun. Thanks again to Dr. Kate Mangona from Marriage, Medicine, and Money. Before we end, let's give you the link for our sponsor again. If you need help reviewing your employment contract before you sign, reach out to a company with great online reviews and reputation for doing that and more. Find Resolve at www.drpodcastnetwork.com resolve to get the review process started today. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. 